Today on Storytime with Bradley episode, learn about my origin story from being a non-athletic nerd and then becoming a sumo wrestler to being a YouTube influencer for Zumba Fitness with 25 million views to being a consultant for Amazon sellers to working for Helium 10 and throughout, I hope you can learn from my good and bad experiences that can help you and your business. What's up, guys? Time for another episode of Storytime with Bradley. So a lot of people have been DMing me and saying, hey, we love how you'd give the origin story of all of your guests. And it's interesting to see the wide background, but we don't know too much about you know your story. You give little bits here or there, but we'd love to hear your story. So this episode is going to be a little bit about Bradley, but I just want to like hopefully tie things into showing you some of the mistakes I've made along the way and some of the successes. And even in life, there are things that have happened to me that I think we can apply as a serious strategy for serious sellers, because that's what the show is about. All right. So just first of all, let's go back to the beginning. My dad is American. My mom was born and raised in the Philippines. And I was born here in Orange County, California in the 1970s. Not going to say exactly when my dad was a coin dealer. And so we traveled a lot around the world and he had a business in Japan. So we would go back and forth from Japan a lot. And then when I was nine, we actually moved to Japan. And so we lived there for three years. I didn't learn Japanese while there because I was doing homeschool. And, and so I didn't have to learn, you know, Japanese. I picked up a little bit, but I fell in love with some things about the Japanese culture, namely sumo wrestling, just loved it. And then also my favorite car became the Nissan Skyline. That was like, okay, Hey, that is my dream car. Now, after came back to America, I was in middle school and then uh, I love sports, but my parents never let me play sports. So I was just kind of a bookworm nerd, not by choice, but I did well in high school. I had a 4.8 GPA my senior year and was just stereotypical nerd, had all AP classes and, and started going to college actually when I was a junior in high school. So by the time I graduated high school, I already was like one semester short of an associate's degree. I had taken Japanese so I could almost speak Japanese at that point after taking it in college. And so anyways, after I graduated high school, I was a volunteer, you know, for my church. And then I would go around for 90 hours a month, you know, giving Bible classes while also continuing, you know, my studies at the local junior college, even though I, you know, was one of those book you know, nerds and high SAT and all that stuff. I did not go to a four-year university at first. I was like, you know what? My parents, even, even though they wanted me to be a, a nerd, they understood that here in this country, it's not a guarantee of success to, to go sink money into, into university. And, you know, not to berate anybody who does that, but for those of you out there who are still in high school and wondering what you're going to do, you know, Gary V talks about it a lot. You know, university is not for everybody. How many people out there are, have bachelor's degree and now working at McDonald's or living in their parents' basement still with tens of thousands of dollars of debt. So that was kind of like our philosophy. So right when I graduated, I was like, Hey, uh, I'm going to continue going to the junior college and learn some actual skills. You know, I was you know studying Japanese. I was studying, you know, computer programming and, and just different things that I thought that I could use in life. And that was pretty, pretty much it volunteering, you know, took up a lot of my time and, and I was good. So when I was 19, I actually moved to New York. I had never lived outside of the house. I moved to New York and was a volunteer again for my church's headquarters there in Brooklyn, New York. And I worked there kind of like, almost like as, as a janitor, I was in a cleaning department for one of the buildings, but 
it was very exciting to, to live away from home and to kind of like be my own person. And that was something that, you know, I didn't have living at home my whole life. And it was a great experience for me kind of just like to be thrown out into the world and you know, have to worry about, you know, all these things I never had to worry about before, you know, whether it's getting my clothes washed or, or paying bills or things like that. So again, for you young people out there, I definitely suggest doing something like that. It was definitely a great experience for me, but I had to move back. My parents' health was, and grandparents' health was not good. So, and I was the only child, by the way. Yeah. That was another thing I forgot to mention. I am an only child. No, I'm not spoiled. It's the opposite. As many only children would say, all the discipline is on you and not your brother or sister. You can't put the blame on anybody else. But anyways, moved back when I was about 19, 20. And then I started working as an executive assistant to the CEO and the vice president of a chain called Hot Dog on a Stick. Hot Dog on a Stick are those places in the mall with the funny outfits. People stomp up and down the lemonade, but I was the executive assistant because I could type 80 words a minute. And I was just like, hey, it's not just women who can be secretaries. I could do it too. And that's what I chose to do. Now, in the meantime, I started getting into cars. This was when the Fast and Furious came out and everybody was all about Fast and Furious. Me, I've always liked doing things a little bit differently. You guys will see that throughout this, this episode. And it's something that you know we can talk about later. It ties into business. But I was like, I don't want a Honda or a Toyota or an Acura like everybody else has. I want to be a little bit different. So I got a Hyundai Elantra, Hyundai. So, you know, that's a Korean car. Now at the time, Korean cars did not have the great reputation like they do today. You know, they, they were kind of like, you know, the Pinto, you know, people made fun of you if you had a Hyundai, but they're pretty good cars. So I got a Hyundai Elantra and there was no part, I couldn't like trick out my car like I wanted to do because of the Fast and Furious. So I started just scouring the internet and I found this company in Korea. Now in Korea, the Hyundai's is like the Honda of Korea. Like that's where all the car, you know, aftermarket car accessories are made for. So there's really good parts. I started importing it from my own car. And then I thought, wait a minute, I know there's tons of people like me here in the States who have these Korean cars, Hyundai, Kia, Daewoo, and can't find products. So let me see if I can work something out with this company. The owner of the company, he spoke English. He had actually gone to Duke University of all places. So I said, hey, let me run like a branch office for you here in the States. And basically we came to an agreement and I opened up a 3000 square foot warehouse here and started running his whole online business for here. And, you know, we would ship things out and, you know, kind of, I would get paid of course. And then I would get all the parts I wanted for my car. Now this was going for a while, while I was working full-time still at the hot dog and a stick place. And then it got kind of big. You know, Hyundai kind of got wind of what we were doing and they offered me two free cars to like completely trick out and, and put in magazines and, and to put help with the, the next fast and furious movie. So I was like, you know what, I got to put my more time into this. So I stopped being an executive assistant and just went full-time kind of, I guess you can call it almost as an entrepreneur, even though I wasn't the owner of the company, I was running the whole operation and, you know, I was hiring people. I was still, you know, 19, 20 years old and it became a million dollar business and I was running it all, hiring people. And, and just, it was, it was a good, it was a good time. And it was something that I love doing just like, you know, what's always suggested, try and do something guys that you have a passion for, and it's going to come out in your work. And from that time, I would stay overnight in my office. I had one, I had like five offices in our warehouse that we got and I converted one to a bedroom. I was a new father. So there was a crib in there. So I would have my wife and my, my daughter, you know, sleep there in the office with me. Cause I would pull all nighters. It, it was a good time. So, um, 
I did this for a few years, but what happened was, you know, the recession hit, right? And when there's a recession, people don't have money for carbon fiber hoods or exhaust. And so the, the business was going down and down. I, I joined it with another company who has, who had done accessories up in the LA area. I moved my whole family up there to LA, but still the company was going down and down because all of these things, just people didn't have, you know, money for it. And that's something that's important, you know, like you can get in a really good booming industry, but make sure that it's not reliant on the economy, right? You know, if it's food or something like that, right? I mean, people are not just going to say, hey, we don't have enough money for food anymore. But if your whole entire business model is based on things that by definition, you really don't need to survive, if people don't have money for it, they're not, that's one of the things that's going to go. And that's what happened to us. So, you know, I probably should have thought about that a little bit more. So that company just kind of like, went down and down, but I, I would still work with, with those individuals I had met from Korea and it was all Korean people. I was like the only American, you know, in, in these companies. So it was about four or five years I was in this industry still with the same connections. And, but eventually when that company almost died down completely, I moved back to the San Diego Oceanside area and it was like, what am I going to do now? So I decided to, 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 work for the man again, I guess. And so I got a job at this company called Fresh Creative Foods. It was a division of research foods. If you guys are in the States, you guys know it's a billion dollar company that, that makes the potato salads and different salad kits around. And I was working as a marketing assistant. And again, I was not really passionate about it. So at first, you know, uh, I wasn't that motivated. And so I, what I learned though is in, even if it's something you're not passionate about, it's so important to kind of like, convince yourself you are and figure out a way to do that. So what I did was I made it like a game, like work, like uh, one of my responsibilities was making sure there was enough inventory and it wouldn't expire at all the grocery stores in the United States in our network. And I made it like a game, like a challenge to myself, like, Hey, how close can I, can I cut it? How, how little can I spoil? And, and then they had me doing the trucking and I, I found myself again, staying overnight. Nobody would ask me to stay overnight and pull all night, 24 hour shifts, but I would do it because it was exciting to me. And here is something that would seem like, what in the world are you doing? You know, you just spent years working for yourself and being your own boss. And now you're organizing semi-truck routes for the deliveries for the next day. Like, isn't that totally boring? But again, I made it a game like, I would just go there all night thinking, how can I make this route the smallest or shortest route so I can be so effective with how I'm sending out the, our five drivers in the morning. And then sure enough, you know, people would find me in the office sleeping under my desk the next morning because I had spent the whole night there again. Nobody had, you know, it wasn't like they were like making me stay overnight and giving me too much work, but I just did it because I loved it. And again, this is something I think that any of you guys listening here, regardless of, of if you're selling on Amazon or, you know, in some other e-commerce endeavor, you're going to end up doing things that maybe you're not naturally passionate about. Like not many of us can do our hobby. Like I did for a while with the fast and furious stuff. Right. So that was good, but you might end up being selling a product on Amazon that that you think is the most stupid thing in the world, but you've got to find a psychological way to psych yourself out, to get yourself motivated about what you're doing, because that's when quality is going to come on your work. If you're not motivated or excited about what you're doing, you're not going to have good results. And again, not everybody can just do what is their passion. I, I talk about this in Amazon training all the time. If you're an expert in cell phone cases, 
right? You can't just go out there and sell cell phone cases on Amazon and because you're passionate about it and you're going to be successful. No, most of the time you're going to have to end up selling something like paper straws or something that you have no passion about and is the most boring thing in the world. And maybe that you even hate, like who likes paper straws? Like I hate paper straws. They melt in my drinks. But if that's what is going to make me money on Amazon, I got to find a way to be passionate about selling it. So that's one piece of advice that I, I definitely learned. Anyways, during all this time, I actually started doing sumo wrestling. I never knew there was amateur sumo wrestling. I knew I couldn't be a professional sumo wrestler. And like I said, when I was younger in, J in Japan, I, I love sumo wrestling. So I found that there was a club here in the States that did it. So I, I took it up. I'd always been a little overweight in my life. So I was like, wow, this is something I can actually be an athlete at. I would go to the trainings and, and this company or this club that I, I joined, they actually were the ones who would give all the, you know, in commercials and movies, anything that had to do with sumo wrestlers, they were the ones that kind of like orchestrated all of that. So, so, you know, I would work on movies like memoirs of a geisha and oceans 12 oceans 11 and, and, and helping with there. And I started going to tournaments and I wasn't half bad, you know, I dedicated myself again to it. And because it was such a weird thing to do, you know, MTV true life, they came out and did an episode about me. You can still Google it now, MTV true life. I'm a sumo wrestler. So I'm one of the three that they profiled and I got fairly good. You know, I, one of my peaks was I was fourth place at us nationals in the open weight, just one went away from representing the U S at the world championships, but I lost in my last bout. But anyways, sumo wrestling was great in sumo wrestling. There's there's weight classes, just like in boxing, right? So in amateur sumo wrestling, that is. So I had increased my weight to about 260 because middle weight was up to 253. I wanted to stay above weight and then I would cut weight right before a competition, just like in these other sports, right? But that was not a good weight for me. My health was getting bad. I got a physical and they're like, hey, your good cholesterol is low. Your bad cholesterol is high. You basically have to lose weight. So I was like, you know what? I can't keep doing sumo. I want to, but I got to figure out a way to do it while losing weight. So I started going to the gym and I'm like, it took me one day to like understand that the treadmill was not for me. I'm like, what is in the world is going on here? This is so boring. And then I looked on the board and I saw this thing for a group exercise class and it said Zumba. And I'm like, I didn't know what the heck Zumba was. This was like 10 years ago where, where, you know, Zumba wasn't a, a household name. Uh, I went into that Zumba class and I was like, okay, there's great music here that I listen to. You know, I love Spanish music. And there's 50 women in here, like two dudes. I'm like, Hey, I, I can work with this. So I started doing it and losing weight like crazy. I lost over 70 pounds total thanks to Zumba fitness and, and eating better. And then I heard about, there was a Zumba convention where there's like 10,000 Zumba instructors come together to Florida from all over the world and, and basically party. I'm like, I want to go to that. They're like, you can't go unless you're a Zumba instruct licensed instructor. So I'm like, fine, I'm going to go ahead and get licensed as an instructor so I can go to the Zumba convention. I went to the Zumba convention and I met this kind of influencer who was kind of like a masculine Zumba instructor. And, and to me, I, all my Zumba instructors were female. And, and I was like, I never thought of myself that I could actually be a Zumba instructor because it was like too feminine, you know, for me, I was like, I don't have those feminine moves at the time I do now. But anyways, at that time I didn't. So when I saw this guy and he said, Oh yeah, I got a YouTube channel, check it out. His name was Nathan Blake. And I checked out his YouTube channel. I'm like, whoa, this is amazing. It's like a hip hop Zumba instructor. It's masculine. And like, I was like, I could totally do this. So then from that moment, I was like, you know what? Let me, let me try and be an instructor. Now I started being an instructor. I was already licensed, but I, I auditioned uh, 24 hour fitness and, and got a job. And 
it was just amazing to me. Like I was actually being paid to do something that I was passionate about. And that's the second lesson or another lesson here today, guys. I've talked about this before, but to me, the ultimate in job satisfaction is two things. If you can do something that you love so much that you actually used to pay to do it, or you would pay. Like think about how many of you guys who are accountants or delivery drivers or something, if you weren't getting paid for what you were doing, would you just go out there and pay to do it because you love it so much? No, not one of us would. But I literally paid to do Zumba Fitness before. I paid to be a student. Now I was being paid to do it. That just boggled my mind. And, and in addition, do something that can help other people that can make a change in their lives. And I, I found that in the Zumba. I mean, I had students, you know, I, I started teaching for years. I had students who would come to me and tell me, Hey, you know, I've lost 50 pounds. I've lost hundred pounds. You've saved my life. These things like that. It's amazing feeling to get statements like that from a job. How many people have jobs where they're doing that? If you guys have that right now, absolutely hold on to that. So I, I started doing Zumba. I was a very popular instructor locally again, because it was, I was kind of a unicorn, you know, like I said, 95% of Zoom instructors were female and I was like the only guy. And, and I was kind of like this, this relatable person. Okay. And that was kind of the secret to a lot of my success. I don't know if there's a lesson in this, but again, sometimes being relatable is better than talent. And, and I'm sure there's a way we can tie that to Amazon or, or, or selling, but how, how was that the case with me? Well, I was never the best dancer. All right. I was not the, the greatest, you know, I, I was a sumo wrestler for goodness sake. I never took dance in my life, but I was decent, but I was just a regular guy that people could relate. We would go to master classes as Zumba students for like these professional dancers. And it, it's great. It's great to like watch. It was great to watch those guys, but you did it for the spectacle. Does that make sense guys? You did it for the spectacle, the ooh and the awe factor. But when you were watching these professionals, like you didn't think like, wow, that could be me one day or that that's total. I could totally do that. It was just to be in awe and, and there's nothing wrong with that. But when people came to my classes, they're like, wait a minute, this is just a regular dude who dresses funny. I'll, a little bit more on why I dress funny there later, but this is just a regular dude. He used to be a sumo wrestler. If he can do it, I can do it. And that is why I was so successful. Like my classes would be packed. People would wait two hours just to get into my class and pay extra money just to get into my classes. Anyways. I learned, like I told you guys, from my friend, Nathan Blake, who had a YouTube channel and a bunch of other people. That's how I learned my routines, like from YouTube. And then I just thought about it. If I would see these people at the convention, at the Zumba convention, right? I wouldn't even know who they were. Like I would not recognize them, but I love them. I was like, I, I really would love to meet them. And I was thinking, I want to be memorable. You know, I, I want to help other people too with a YouTube channel, but people aren't going to remember the name Bradley. So I was like, how do I make myself memorable? So what I did was I decided to create a character and I called him crazy sock TV. So what I did was I put one sock on my left arm or my right arm. I, I would cut it off so that it would go up almost like an arm sleeve, right? Now everybody's doing arm sleeves. It's like a Nike thing, but uh, I still maintain I'm the one who started that. But anyways, the other sock I would put on the opposite leg. So, and it wasn't just any sock. It was just a ridiculous sock, like the most outlandish sock you've ever seen in your life. And that was my thing. So I would go on YouTube and the YouTube channel was called Crazy Sock TV. And then I would do Zumba routines. But then what happened was a lot of these would go viral. And again, people did not remember my name. 
but they remembered, oh, that's the crazy sock guy. So what happened was these videos went viral. I eventually got like over 20 to 25 million views on Amazon and tens of thousands of subscribers. And people would invite me to travel all over the world doing masterclasses. Was it because I was an incredible dancer? No, I wasn't an incredible dancer, but it was those two things. Number one, I was relatable. And number two, I was memorable. You know, people remembered me. They're like, hey, we want the crazy sock guy. So remember that guys, when you're developing products too, when you're talking about your listings, when you're talking about your images, when they're talking about the functionality of the product, make sure that it's relatable to your target audience. I made sure I was relatable to my target Zumba students. So you guys need to do that as well. When you are developing products and developing your listings, are you relatable to your target audience? Also, are you memorable? Are there things that differentiate yourself from the rest? You know, don't just totally break the mold and do something different, right? That you're not sure works. Capitalize on what you know works on Amazon, but at the same time, differentiate yourself. Put your own crazy sock on there so that people can remember it. Even if they don't buy your product at, at, at first, it sticks in their mind. Make yourself the memorable one. And that's what I did with my Zumba fitness career. And, and it was just, it was just amazing traveling the world and, and Zumba fitness would have me in all their DVDs and I would represent them on QVC. And it was all because I made this memorable, relatable character and, and I got rewarded for it. So anyways, I was doing all of this. And then now finally the story comes to Amazon right? While I was working at that food company, I was approached by my, my former partners, those Korean guys. And they're like, Hey, um, we're starting this company for cell phone cases. There's this, there's this brand in Korea that we think would go well. This was before there's such thing of wallet cases. It was around the S3 galaxy S3 iPhone four years, whenever, whatever year that was. And I was like, sure. You know, uh, I want to try something different, not have to work for the man anymore. I, I'm tired of getting eight vacation days a year and, and having to get approval to call in sick and, and this and that. So I was like, let me take this dive. They're guaranteeing a salary. So I started working for this company. We had no idea what we were doing and long story short, we found another company who was an online.com company for cell phone accessories. We joined up with them and they're like, Hey, let's try and put these cell phone cases on Amazon. And then one guy said, Hey, I have an idea. Let's do 3d imagery for our, for our pictures instead of just taking pictures of them. And nobody had done this at the time before nobody. So we're like, let's do it. And these things took off like wildfire. I mean, it was ridiculous. We were selling thousands of units a day total of these cell phone cases. And you know how small cell phone cases are. We were bringing containers of these things in. It, we could not keep them on the shelves. They did not know SEO. They did not on Amazon. You know, they didn't know keyword research. There was no keyword tools back then. They didn't know about launch. They literally just threw it up there and 100% organically these things took off. So we, we were like, man, we hit the mother load here. So we just, we, you know, kept ordering and ordering. Eventually three of us, we split from that other company and we formed our own company. Okay. So it was three of us. One guy was kind of like the, the guy who was in charge of the uh, supply chain. He was the one who, who ran the factory that we ordered this from. And, and he was like, I'm going to start a factory in China to get these made instead of Korea so we can save more money. That was his contribution. 
the other guy, his 33% was the Amazon know-how, you know, how to, how to sell on Amazon, you know, supposedly was what he was, you know, in charge of. And then my part was I provided my house and warehouse as the new office. You know, I, I had a house in uh, San Marcos. We, I moved out, moved back with my parents and we made my house uh, an office for like 15 people. And then I had a warehouse on the back of my house that I was using for, you know, my fast and furious business way back in the day. And we're like, we're going to convert this into the office. And so like, that was my contribution to, to like provide, you know, provide this. So we started this new company and then right off the bat though, things started going a little bit downhill. Basically the listings started going downhill. Sales were going down and down and, and they would try just different things to, to boost it. Uh, they didn't really understand about the search algorithm. So they would try and do these like Dan's deals or, or some of these deal websites and just try and inflate the BSR, you know, which is probably why exactly Amazon put that, Hey, don't try to inflate the BSR. They were doing those things and it, and it wasn't working. Just their market share was going down and down and what was happening was these other companies who actually knew what they were doing on Amazon, be it like Speedgen or Caseology or these other up and coming phone case companies, they like knew how to, you know, work the algorithm and how to market and how to do their PPC. And, and we really didn't. And for me, they really didn't like let me know how to do things. Uh, that was one bad thing about how our business relationship went. I was a one third partner and they like didn't want to teach me the intricacies of what they knew about Amazon. And I don't think that's great for any kind of partnership. So I was just kind of like the logistics guy. I was there in my warehouse packaging and shipping five, more than 500 orders a day. FBM, we were doing crazy FBM. We had, I had this machine where it would just, you know, print out the addresses directly from seller central onto these labels and I would drop it in and I could ship, I could package and ship like 10 items per minute. It was crazy. And I would be in charge of keeping the Amazon FBA inventory up to date and stuff. And that was just about it. I didn't know anything about PPC and, and my like login to seller central only could view certain things. And, and that's a good advice for you guys out there. Don't, don't do like we did. If, if you've got partners, everybody should have open access and everything should be shared because just wasn't really, you know, encouraging a lot of innovation when only one person knew how to do one thing. So that is definitely, I think something I learned from there. So things were going bad for us financially. So we were just trying different things, getting into different models of, of, you know, trying to import for other companies. You know, we did a deal with a Japanese company who was a very famous Japanese.com and, and we provided our warehouse for like three PL for them and helping them do their listings and things like that. And that was okay for some cash flow, but Eventually they were like, Hey, we need to move back to Los Angeles. You know, that's where we need to be. So I'm like, I didn't like that idea because I'm like, Hey, we've got this warehouse that I'm providing for you guys at really cheap. And when we moved to Los Angeles, it's going to increase our overhead, but they wanted to do it. So they did. And I was just like, at that time, I was just like, you know what, this is, this is just not a good look, you know, for, for my family and, and business is going down. Let's, let's try something or else, you know, I, I got to go, I got to do my own thing. So I brought to them like hoverboards. This was like around the time when hoverboards were, were going crazy. And I found some suppliers. I'm like, let's, let's do some hoverboards guys. So we got in on the hoverboard craze. And again, we were doing great. You know, we were getting these things for like 70 bucks, selling them for over 500, making hand over fist. Then all of a sudden, all those crazy, these stories started happening about houses being burned down and things like that. And what Amazon decided to do 
with all of our recent customers that they hadn't paid us for is like $150,000. So we hadn't gotten that disbursement from Amazon. They're like, we're just going to refund all those customers. So they refunded our customers of over $100,000 of hoverboards without even getting the hoverboards back. So we basically not only sent out these hoverboards, but we got $100,000 of what we should have gotten just taken out. And, and like our account was locked down. So we went from making ridiculous amounts of money with these hoverboards to now having lost our butts in it and being way in the hole on this. And like I said, that's a hundred thousand dollars worth of cash flow that we should have gotten that we didn't. And we couldn't even get the hoverboards back to like sell it on the secondary market or something. So that just kind of like put a nail in the coffin for me. And I'm just like, you know what guys, <laughs> this is not for me. So I, I kind of like sold my shares in that company and just went off on my own. And I was like, Hey, I'll help you guys out. I'm going to try and learn some stuff on Amazon and, you know, I'll, I'll help you guys out as a consultant or a storage or something, but I, I just got to be out of this. So I, I got out of that company and then I didn't know what I was going to do. I'm like, do I work for the man again? What am I going to do? I, the whole Amazon thing still kind of intrigued me. So I was like, you know what? I just like to learn what the opportunity is. And maybe there's some stuff that these guys didn't teach me. So I was listening to a podcast. I think it was with Kevin Reiser talked about this before in an earlier episode. And he was like, Hey, I got this discount for this, this conference. It's going to be in Chicago in, in three days. I'm like, you know what? Let's just do this. I, I didn't have much money, you know, saved over. So I went ahead and got a ticket. And since I didn't have enough money, I rented a car and then I slept in my car for this Amazon conference. It was a, I think it was a two day conference. And that just basically changed my life right there because I learned things that you could do on Amazon and that other people were doing that just blew my mind. I'm like, oh my goodness, I have been in the dark all this time. All these things I was kind of desperate to know at our company, you know, like how, how we can get higher in the search results. It was just all laid out as a formula. And I was just like, wow, the possibilities are endless with Amazon. So I went back home. I, I dedicated myself to just learning, you know, doing courses and just studying all kinds of videos and reading and just becoming a total Amazon nerd. And, and I went all in and I started, you know, at that time, my old company, they were mainly now, instead of doing cell phone cases, they were mainly bringing in like Korean beauty brands and a lot of other brands from Korea of companies who wanted to sell on Amazon USA, but didn't want to start a branch office or like, Hey, yeah, we'll sell for you on Amazon. But again, they still didn't know what they were doing. And I told them, I was like, guys, I know what I'm doing now. So they're like, Hey, we'll pay you to, you know, optimize these listings and to launch the products, get them on page one and stuff. And, and I was like, guys, I got you, I can do this. So thus started my, my career as a consultant. It was mainly for them, but it was for various, various companies, big brands from Korea, LG, Samsung, you know, headquarters or some, or ironically, some of their phone cases, big Korean beauty brands like, you know, skin food and, and face shop and different things like that. So these, you know, multi, you know, nine figure companies from Korea, some billion dollar companies. And I, I was running uh, all of their listings and I launched over 300 products for, for these companies like this. And, and here's the thing, here's some things I learned from there. Not all of those 300 were successes. Actually, the majority weren't successes. And I would tell them, this is not how Amazon works. So it wasn't my fault. You know, some, some of them, maybe I didn't do the best job, but here's the problem that, and you guys can learn from this is these Korean companies, they were a big deal in Korea, right? Everybody knew their brand. Okay. They just got to put something up and it would sell because of their brand power. But in America, only the Korean population kind of knew about these brands, right? So it wasn't just like, Hey, let's put it on Amazon. It's going to get crazy sales. Some of them, you know, could do it. 
you know, like there were some popular K-beauty brands that needed it, but they didn't understand the fact that they were just competing with any private label seller and private label sellers who were just getting stuff from China and at a fraction of the cost. So it was an uphill battle for them. And, and some of them were in, they wanted to do categories that was just too saturated. And I would try and tell them, I was like, guys, this is not going to work. Yeah, I'll get you to page one. Sure. But I guarantee you're not going to stay on page one because your price is like 30% higher than everybody else. All right. This is not going to work. Or, Hey, everybody is doing crazy sales on this keyword. This is a saturated niche, but they're like, no, 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 we can do it. So that was one reason why I like being a consultant. It was like, Hey, I warned them with a clean conscience that a lot of this wouldn't work. And, but either way, I still got paid, you know? So, so I, I kind of like that as far as being a consultant and not, not launching my own products. Cause again, I never launched my own product. I didn't want that risk and that pressure. Right now it wasn't all failures. You know, uh, we, we, we had tons and tons of successes, a lot of stuff that is still being sold today. I mean, the stuff that I launched is easily, you know, uh, making eight figures now, uh, out of all those products couple that stick out in my mind. There was one toothbrush where I was like, I still wasn't feeling it, but I'm like, you know what? There is a possibility for this toothbrush because it was bamboo or some weird stuff like that. So I'm like, we could maybe compete even though those other listings were, were like Colgate and Crest toothbrushes and stuff. And sure enough, I got this listing to page one right away on some toothbrush categories. And within like one week, it was selling like 60, 70 units a day and was just crushing it. And so we had a lot of successes like that. So it goes to show, you know, just, there is no universal yes or universal no for success. You know, I always tell people, Hey, don't sell collagen peptides because it's so saturated, but it's 99% chance that you're going to fail. But yeah, there's a 1% chance that you could just hit something, a sweet spot, or you have some big budget. Yeah. You could crush it doing collagen peptides. So at the same time, you could get in something where all the figures, all the numbers say that a product is going to work, you know, like low reviews and small competition. And then you could just totally fall flat on your face. The only thing you can do with Amazon is really try and put yourself in the best situation for that success. And you play the odds and you got to understand that there's no guarantee. So anyways, that, that was kind of like what I was doing as a consultant where I would play those odds and try and put my clients in the best position it was to get success. And a lot of times they were successful, but a lot of times they weren't successful. And again, I could have told them that going in and I did tell them that but they did not, they, they were too proud. They were too haughty about their own brand power to understand how Amazon works. Another thing to learn from that situation was there is so much potential with bringing some of these foreign brands. Maybe there are some foreign brands out there that want to sell in America, but they don't want to open up a big, they don't want to open up a big, you know, warehouse or a big operation or marketing campaign. Well, Amazon might be the way that they can get into the U.S. market. And there's a way if you have ties with one of these countries, you know, obviously, like I said, I was working with all Korean guys, so they had good contacts in, in Korea. So that's why they were able to get these brands over. That might be something that you could look into. I definitely want to make another episode about that later. So I would also, you know, because of my work, I would get, I would bring on other clients. And so that was how I was able to launch over a hundred uh, other products. And I started working full-time again, kind of like for the man, all this time I was still doing my Zumba fitness classes. I was teaching like seven, eight classes a week, staying in great shape and still traveling when I could. And one of my clients, they, I would go to their house, you know, they were a CEO of a big company and they didn't want to go to the gym. So I would go to their house two, three days a week doing private Zumba classes for them, making like 80, hundred dollars an hour. And that was Fun. And we, we were, they were like my friends and you know, we were, we would just talk while we were doing Zumba and we just have a great time. And 
they're like, Hey, we need to hire full-time sales manager. So I was like, you know what? Let's do this. They're my friends, great company to work for. So I joined them and I started working, you know, full-time with them as their sales manager. It wasn't just Amazon, but Amazon was the prime, one of my primary responsibilities. And I helped grow their Amazon business from a little under a million a year to over 3 million in that year that I was there. I would manage their other accounts and I was getting them into grocery store chains and I was managing their Walmart business, their Walmart store, as far as, you know, that those relationships there with Walmart. And guys, let me tell you, if you think Amazon is the, is the top of the food chain, no. Guys, it still does not hold a candle to what the potential of retail brick and mortar is. I would see POs go across my desk for millions of dollars and just for like certain DCs, like certain regions of Walmart. Guys, so whereas, like I said, they only made like maybe peak 3 million of Amazon the whole year. I would see POs for almost that amount. It was crazy. And a lot of their branding and stuff comes from uh, infomercials, DR. So they would pour in hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars a month on infomercials. And that was how they would generate sales on Amazon. And it's crazy too, guys. I told you $3 million for the sales on Amazon. They don't have one product that has even three stars. Everything was like two stars. But when you get to be that popular of a brand, people and that much marketing, people don't care about the reviews. They were still selling so much because of their brand recognition. So that was kind of fun, you know, working for, for that company and helping bring up their business. And it wasn't all success. There was a product they wanted me to, to kind of launch. It was something that they bought from the rights to from somebody who was, did it on Kickstarter. It's kind of like a foam roller, except you put like hot or cold water in and the market just wasn't ready. You know, we poured money into it. I got it to page one of all the main keywords, but that technology was just too new. Like people just didn't understand why it was so good. I mean, it was an amazing product, but again, nobody was searching for that product on Amazon. People were searching for foam rollers and things like that. So it was an uphill battle. And there's another lesson for you guys. You might have the greatest invention known to mankind, but if people don't understand it, or if they're not searching for it, you're not going to be successful on Amazon. So they did not create enough demand off of Amazon to sustain any kind of longevity on Amazon. And so I got those products to page one, but they didn't do well because people just didn't think that it was, it was necessary at that price point. It was like double, double or triple what foam rollers cost. And they didn't understand the hot and cold water thing. So, so that, you know, that product pretty much died a, a slow death. So anyways, more time during this of just uh, on a personal note, continuing my weirdness, instead of having just a dog, I would have a, a pet goat and a pet pig, almost like a mini farm, even though I live in the suburbs here. Again, just trying to be different. I ended up buying my, my dream car, Nissan Skyline. I imported it from Japan and has a Japanese license plate steering wheel on the right-hand side. I get more looks in that car as if I was driving a Lamborghini. It's, it's kind of crazy, but that's one thing that being an entrepreneur, and being dedicated to my dreams kind of helped me, you know, like my dream was being an athlete when I was younger and, and being, you know, I hate to say it, but like, I, I wanted to be famous for being an athlete. And so I kind of got that in double way with the sumo wrestling and the Zumba, you know? So for somebody who grew up as a nerd and a loner, it was such an amazing feeling, but I never, I always stuck to those dreams, even though it seemed like pretty unattainable, you know, like Nissan Skyline, like Nissan Skylines aren't even legal. They weren't even legal in America, but I waited until they were, the car is 25 years old. You can bring it from another country and it, and it'd be legal. So guys, you know, this might sound cliche or corny, but 
if you have some dreams that are somewhat attainable, you know, the, the dreams I had were somewhat attainable, stick to them because if you, if you stick to it, you, you're going to get, you're going to get there. And, and I'm definitely an example of that from a non-athletic loner to becoming a YouTube celebrity, as it were, for Zumba fitness, traveling the world and getting on TV shows because I was a sumo wrestler and being in placing in national tournaments and having my dream car. I mean, I am a perfect example of, of follow your dream. So I, I hope you guys can take that from it. Going back to business now. Anyways, I was using helium 10 starting right before I started work at that diet pill company from, from my friends. And it was just an amazing piece of software that at the time I was using like eight different softwares and my, my Chrome browser was so slow because I needed something for sales estimation. I needed something for keywords. I needed something for this and that. And, and, and so I had like seven, eight different, you know, tools and extensions, Chrome extensions. When I, when somebody turned me on to Helium 10 for their keyword tracker, I was blown away. I was like, holy crap, I can just like cancel all this other stuff that I have because Helium 10 is taking care of it for me. So I started using Helium 10 exclusively for all those launches. So it was probably like 200 launches in, uh, 100 to 200 launches in where I started switching things to Helium 10. I would go on their Facebook group and, and I'm the kind of person who's kind of argumentative, right? Like if people give wrong information, whether they're marketers, gurus, or people, other tool companies, and they're using their, their position or their platform to, to steer people in the wrong way, either for personal gain or for their company gain, that pisses me off. 20 years ago, when I was in the whole fast and furious thing, I would go on message, what we called message forums, right? And people arguing that Hondas were better. And I would put all my dyno graphs about my horsepower to the wheels of the Hyundai cars. And I would just get in these big, long arguments and stuff with people. I was the same way on Helium 10. You, you can still go back and, and see my old rants where people would say, oh, uh, giveaway launches don't work or this or that. And I would go on there and all the time and like rip people new ones and show all these graphs, showing them why they're full of nonsense. And then I guess Manny and Guy, you know, the founders of Helium 10 were like, who is this guy? We're going to invite him up here. We're going to invite him up here to, uh, to meet with us and hang out because they were about an hour away in Irvine and I was in San Marcos. So I was like, sure, I'll come up there and meet you guys. That'd be cool. I looked up to Manny a lot, listened to the AMPM podcast and, and he was one of my inspirations. So of course I was going to, you know, go up and hang out. They invited me to this restaurant and there was Boyan, the CTO, Guillermo and Manny. And basically it was a job interview and I didn't even realize it was a job interview. Cause we were, it was just a conversation there after like, yeah, we'd like you to work for us. I'm like, nah, 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 I'm good. I don't want to drive an hour each way to work. And I'm in my friend's company and I'm good, but they kept after me. They kept after me and they were like, Hey, you can work home from home on Fridays because you live so far. And eventually I thought about it and I was just like, you know what? I'm going to do this. I, I, I'm going to go ahead and, and take this leap of faith, leave the stability of a, of a job, a, what up until that time was my favorite job I ever had five minutes from my house, great benefits. And let me just do this because I have a feeling that this is what I need to be doing. So I came on to helium 10 in July of 2018 as the operations manager, things started doing well. Like I started doing the videos and, and it went over kind of well, like the, there was a good reception. We were doing these AMAs and Thousands of people were watching the AMAs and, and everybody liked the way I did the pro training videos. So then Manny and Guy were like, Hey, we think we, you, we found somebody who, who's really good at what you're doing. We want you to do this kind of focus on this full time. So I transitioned away from the operations manager and I was 
kind of like, you know, the, the front face uh, of Helium 10. And it, it wasn't even planned that way where I could really take over all those things that would take Manny so much time and that didn't allow him to really grow the business. And so I was more than happy to do that. And then I, I just sat there re- and realized like, wow, I just lightning just struck twice because remember guys, what I told you about my Zumba fitness and how that was the ideal job about how it hit those two scenarios, how number one, I was being paid to do something that I used to pay to do because I loved it so much. And then number two, I was helping people. Well, somehow lightning struck twice. I used to pay to use Helium 10 and now Helium 10 was paying me to use their software. And not only that, I was changing people's lives, even with the training videos, because I would get messages all the time from people and say, oh my goodness, thank you for these videos. You guys have transformed my business. And now I'm doing like six figures because of you. And so again, I, I, I hit that holy grail of, of work somehow. Like, I don't know. So like so many people don't ever have it once and I've had it twice. So I, I highly suggest to you guys that use that too as a benchmark, you know, like do something that you love so much that you used to, or would pay to do it, even if you weren't being paid. Like, think about that. Those of you who are on Amazon, selling on Amazon, you kind of hit that already, right? You used to pay to use Amazon because you're an Amazon customer. Now you're being paid to sell on Amazon. So almost all of my listeners out there, you guys probably already hit one of those categories. Uh, and now, you know, you might be able to hit that, that second one, depending on if you have a product that really is helping people, you know? So like put some time and effort into your product, make sure that it solves a problem and, and you're going to have that, that, that cool feeling of fulfillment that very few people in this world have. But by being an Amazon seller, you have the opportunity for that. So anyways, guys, this was a super long one. This is probably the longest episode so far. I apologize about that. I can ramble. If you guys are watching the video, you can see that I'm not really going off of a script here. I'm just talking to hear my head rattle. So I apologize for rambling or if you guys fell asleep on this, but I think some of my story might be interesting, but at, at the very least, try and take some of those big points that I brought about partnerships, about your mentality, about liking what you do and, and being passionate about making a game out of it, even if it's something that you might not organically like to do, but you kind of make yourself like to do it. Think about how to make your job fulfilling. Like I said, think about the, the mistakes that I made and my companies have made along the way and learn from the, the good things that, you know, I've been able to do. Hopefully you can learn something from this episode. And at the very least, you can get to know yours truly a little bit better. So there you have it. There is the Bradley Sutton origin story. Let me know in the comments or hit me up on Facebook what you thought about this episode if you actually made it this far. And we will see you guys later. Quick note, guys, don't forget that regardless where you are listening to this podcast, whether it's on your iPhone or on Stitcher or on Spotify, that you hit the subscribe button so that you can be notified every time we drop a new episode.